There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. There isn't a walleye on this planet that's got 20 to 25 minutes of fight in it. You know how insane that was? That shark could have landed in the boat and two of your buddies could have been freaking killed. Man, there's a few times throughout that deal where he just goes after Brie cheese. I get your clients suck, but leave the Brie out of this, man. Secondly, walleye, you're right. I mean, they kind of suck. Good morning, degenerate anglers, and welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that goes directly to the closest drive through daiquiri shack after picking up its rental car at the New Orleans airport. I'm Joe Cermelli, and joining me today is my good friend from the land of drive through daiquiri shacks, Jared Sarnier. What's going on, brother? All right, bro. I'm happy to be here, but look, we we're not drinking daiquiris. I'm gonna have the I'm gonna have it. I'm gonna have the beer iced down for when you get here. We, we ain't mess with no daiquiris. I, I appreciate. Yeah, and that's probably a lot cheaper too. Those daiquiris are uh, are pretty spendy. Uh, allegedly, right? Allegedly, Jared has not been on this show before, though your voice does bear a striking resemblance to uh, Down the Road Darren from South Louisiana, who occasionally does. Uh, fishing reports for us from your region. You hip to that guy? You ever met that guy? Before? Yeah, man. I cross paths with Darren every once in a while, dude. It's like I'll be like pumping, you know, trying to get pumping gas in my truck, and Darren comes up to me like, "Hey, bro, can I buy a few dollars?" You know, man, you sound just like him. That's a really yeah, good down the road Darren you know, impression. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he's a good dude. Uh, he's just he, you know made yeah. a few questionable choices in his life, but right on, right dude, on. Well, dude, it is. It is awesome to have you here, man. And I, uh, I, you know how much I love the South and Louisiana in particular. And it's been, it's been just way too long since I've been down there. But in case any of you listeners haven't been down there, I wasn't kidding about the daiquiri shacks. I'm not, I'm not claiming South Louisiana is the only place that has them, uh, but it's the only place I've been to where there's, there's practically one on on any given corner. And these are drive-through establishments that will serve you an extra large, big gulp size cup of icy slushy booze in your vehicle. And is there a reason why that's allowed there? I know legally, right, you're not supposed to drink them while you're driving. At least the driver isn't. 
But if that existed where I live, cops would be parked outside just waiting for you to take a pull of that mudslide daiquiri. Like, how does that, how is that allowed? What's the rule? And look, it's not just daiquiris. You could order a mixed drink. All right. Here is the technicality that makes it work. It's okay. the straw. The straw. Oh, so okay. if the, the paper from the straw is not broken, technically, you're good. So once you, once the straw goes in and it's like, all right, now I'm ready to drink. That's when the cop could be like, gotcha. Gotcha. But as long as the straw (laughs) is not, it's crazy. We all learned something today. We all learned how to get away with this and what the rules are. That's great, man. But anyway, so Jared and I, we go way back and I want to tell a story about when we first met because it's sort of going to play into a little theme I've got going on today. Uh, about fishing with people that don't appreciate good fishing. But before we get to that, I want to tell everyone uh, what you've got going on, right? So you're a producer, videographer, a man of many media talents that does work for a lot of people. You've even rubbed elbows, if I'm not mistaken, with old Cal, Ryan Callahan. Isn't that right? You guys did something together? Yeah, Ryan came down last year, last September, the end of September. Um, he, we, we were introduced to each other through a mutual friend, Lan Tawny, in Montana. Oh yeah, Lan, sure. And I yeah. think that Ryan knew that Lan had spent a good bit of time down here. Uh, and Lan and I were buddies from from when he did spend time down here. So he's like, "Hey, man, I'm going to Louisiana. Who do I need to talk to?" Tawny right. was like, "So and so, so and so," and call Serenade. And uh, he called me up and I was like, man, I really appreciate Because I felt like up to that point, Meteor kind of was overlooking the South. Sure. You know? Yeah. And I'm not yeah. saying that's right or wrong, but I felt right. like it kind of right, was. Right, right. So I really yeah. appreciated it when he called. I was like, dude, appreciate it. Um, he was like, you know, let's go on a teal hunt, public land in Venice. I'm like, okay, start putting pieces of place for that. But the problem, you have to, ha- you know, we were going to hunt on a, a federal refuge. So you have mm-hmm. to have that signed off by the refuge manager. And it was just, it was becoming a lot of headache to get all the paperwork done on that. Right, right. So I was like, dude, let's just go, let's go on a hawk hunt. Like, right. you know, what the tides were high from all the tropical storms we're having when the tides yeah. are high. Yeah. The, the feral hogs all kind of bunch up in one higher area. So I said, let's go on a hog hunt. We did. Had a great hunt. Good time. Made some boudin. Nice. And uh, got to see how hard those guys work. He came down with Ty and Garrett, the videographers, and mm-hmm. those dudes work, man. Like, they were oh, working yeah. sun up to sundown. Well, it's funny you bring up that you guys did a, did a hog hunt because you also have your, your own channel and brand now called Outside the Levees that focuses on all kinds of outdoor pursuits and cooking in your region, and, and you hunt and fish, of course. But I also noticed, like, you highlight um, – like local salt of the earth commercial fishing crabbing operations, so you like you really strive to capture the entirety of the outdoors in your region. Yeah, so I started that channel a year ago, actually, kind of right after we hunted with Ryan. I knew, I, you mm-hmm. know, that was kind of the catalyst. So I'm like, all right, it's time to it's time to to jump on the YouTube train. I know, like, yeah, yeah, I'm a little late to it, but also there's still plenty. <laughs> it's still growing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it still yeah. has plenty of time. So uh, I started the channel, and I was like, look, you know, I have this resource all around me. Of sure. the, the outdoors that we have, but also the culture that we have. And that's something you don't quite get in other places where the culture is so tied to it. You're right. So right. I felt like that was my asset that I was bringing to, to the YouTube table. Yeah, and, and what I can tell you, you listening, is that like what Jared's not doing, it's not like your, your standard YouTuber deal. Like you're, you're a professional, you know how to find a good story, shoot it and edit it with style and flow, um, and, and how, to, how to talk to interesting people. And, you know, in my opinion, like in a world of, of GoPros strapped on heads all the time, it's really refreshing, man. You're making really cool stuff. 
I appreciate that. I mean, I'm not, you know, I consider the GoPro head guys and myself all in the same, we're in the same, same deal, you know, like we're the YouTube community. So I'm not saying one's better than the other, but at the same time I had to, I had to create the kind of videos. I'm saying it. (laughs) You could, Hey, that's all good. But no, I had to create the kind of videos that I want to watch. Right. Using, you know, the way I used to produce outdoor television and then kind of mixing in the YouTube style. We do do some GoPro stuff. We do you know, have some music in there and stuff like that. So it's, right. it's been awesome, right. dude. Right. Well, it's great stuff, man. So I got I want to tell this story. Um, so the first time we ever met, you were actually a hired gun. You were a videographer working for the National Wildlife Federation. And I was in town for a work offsite meeting and the fishing for the first few days of this trip had been very, very slow. And uh, because it was a work offsite meeting, as it tends to go, the bosses made the boat pairings, right? And they tried to stick like less outdoorsy people with legit outdoorsy people. And on the third day, you and me uh, and one of these less outdoorsy people who we're not going to we're not going to drag anybody's name through the mud. Right. Doesn't really matter. But we all ended up on a boat together. And the fishing, as I recall, was equally slow for most of that day until about 445 p.m. Right. And then the floodgates just open. And all of a sudden there were redfish chowing everywhere, just crushing top water. You remember this? Yes, I do. I do. Okay. Okay. good. I'm glad you. Remember, yeah, I, I remember. remember it. It, well, it's funny because it's funny you say that. I, I not too long ago, I still have the raw footage, and I, I think I was oh. looking at it. Not, yeah, so we'll have to get, <laughs> we'll have to separately get together and look at. Yes, some, yeah. I'd love to see it. Right, so because I and I remember you being pumped because after all these days of chasing people around with cameras, like you finally had something to shoot. Like Correct. there was action. There yeah. was something going on. Um, but all the boats were told to be back at the lodge by like 5.15 or something for a PowerPoint presentation. Ironically, now that you mention it, that I believe was being given by Lan Tawney. I believe he was on this Probably trip, right? So, yeah. It was his PowerPoint. Yeah. And the kid they stuck us with was losing his shit. Like he was just like, guys, that they said to be back at 5.15. And, 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 and for a while, <laughs> you, me, and the guy just completely ignored this kid. Like I wasn't paying attention to any of this. I'm almost positive the guy that for that was Ross Montet. And he Ross was, it was a, Ross, yeah, yes. Ross is a killer. Like <laughs> yes. if it walks, crawls, swims, flies, yes. it's, it's in danger from Ross. So yes. probably he had all that pent up aggression. You yeah, had it. Days. I was getting yeah. footage. So it was like, dude. <laughs> I know the PowerPoint was important, but we'll get the we'll get the abridged version afterwards. Yeah, over, you right, know, right, we're right. Because uh, yeah, these reds are they're chowing everywhere, and he, right. he he's not even casting because he's so distraught over missing a PowerPoint. Oh man! And eventually, oh. I couldn't take it anymore, and was just like, dude, shut the f- up and fish. Like we're not leaving this to go watch any PowerPoint. Like this is what we've been waiting for all week. And and I I was wondering, but you already confirmed. You, I, you you had this exchange on video. It did not make the final cut of what you were putting together for NWF, but I was pretty sure you were rolling. I would love to see that. Okay, I'm going to check the roll. I got it. <laughs> well, I, I confirmed it the other day. I do have it. We'll unearth it. But in the meantime, tying right in um, with being presented with Stellar Fishing and, and sort of not even recognizing it, we've got one hell of a Smooth Moves segment for you guys this week. Uh, remember, Smooth Moves is where we let guides and captains vent about idiotic things their clients have done uh, and we're leaving the bayou just for just for a little bit and jogging west uh, to San Diego to meet back up with our old buddy, Captain Conway Bowman. Why did you do that? Why? Why did you do that, Terry? Oh, my God. Joining us again from Southern California, my buddy Conway Bowman. How goes it, man? Good to see you again. What's up, brother? How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So... 
Uh, you are a, a pioneer of fly fishing for Makos on the West Coast, but you have guided for so many things in so many places. What are the other things you guided for? Oh, man. Um, trout, carp, bass, largemouth bass. Um, I've done a little bit of steelhead guiding, more, more hosting, but because I've done it, I've hosted trips to steelhead waters, permit, tarpon, bonefish. Because I, I've traveled so much, I've gotten really familiar with a lot of different fish. So what I do is when I host trips, I end up kind of guiding. Right. And, uh, sure. And, and, sure. And I love that. I love guiding. I like watching people be successful at making that cast and hooking, whether it's their first permit, bonefish, steelhead, whatever. I mean, that that really gets me pumped up. So, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm pumped up because you've been at this for so many years. And like you just said, you've done so many different things that I'm really curious to hear like where we're getting a smooth move from. Like what facet of what Conway Bowman does are we going to, going to hear a smooth move story from? Oh, so you want a story right now? I want the smoothest one you got, man. Okay, so um, w- when people fly fish for mako sharks, and it, it always comes back to makos because sure. <clears throat> yeah. they're such a dynamic fish and they jump and they're, they're big. So um, I had a group come on my boat, oh, I don't know, a couple years ago, and none of them had, had ever fly fi- none of them had ever fished. Right. But they had they had bid on a trip that I had given away through some auction. Mm-hmm. So they show up, three guys. That's a that's a guide thing too. You got to be careful with. I know a lot of guides who donate trips, but then you have no control over who it is. Like they're not regular oh. clients. You have no idea who you're getting with the donated trip, right? No, right, right. <laughs> guys show up and they're walking down, walking to my boat. I'm like, oh my god, you're kidding me. I mean, <laughs> members only jacket. Uh, that's kind of sweet. I mean, not for fishing, but I appreciate the jacket. Just, just uh, whatever. I mean, it was, you know, they, they had, they had the the classic loafers on Mm -hmm. with the tassels. It was Mm -hmm. like, oh no. So they get on the boat, right when they get on the boat, they say, Hey captain, get a cooler. I said, yeah, here's my cooler. And they, they put in some brie and they put in a (laughs) bottle of Chardonnay. I'm like, oh shit, here we go. (laughs) And so on the way out, I'm like, you guys done any fishing? Eh. No, not really. We just thought it'd be cool to go see a shark. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> so we're motoring out. The one guy says, so what, uh, Captain, you think we're going to see a shark today? I said, yeah, there's a good chance. Well, how big? I said, you know, I don't know. We're, I'm seeing them, you know, between 80 and, you know, 100 pounds. Yeah. He's like, well, are we going to see a bigger one? I'm like, well, we might. How oh big? I said, well, I don't know. We might see one 500. He's like, whoa, really? Oh, wow. That'd be cool. I'm like, okay. <laughs> So we get out there and we're drifting. So let's say, I, I think I set my slick at 10 o'clock and at two o'clock, we hadn't seen anything. And these guys are, one guy's throwing up over the side. The other guy's kind of, he'd been hitting that bottle of Chardonnay. So he was kind of, you know, not really stumbling around, but he was a little bit gassed. And, you know, they had the, the, the brie out, you know, putting it on French bread and they're sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> and you know they're talking. They were talking whatever bullshit they were talking, and it was really entertaining. Yeah, and, I guess. Yeah. And I said, "Hey guys, we're getting into a zone right now where I've been seeing a lot of big makos, a lot of big ones." Oh, really, Captain? Oh God, that'd be great to see a big one. We haven't seen one all day. I'm like, okay, you know, kind of a wise ass. I'm like, okay. And so I'm 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 standing on the on the stern of the boat, and I'm looking out the slick, and I'm going, man. If any size Mako shows up, these guys couldn't handle it. Because we had gone through the casting. These guys couldn't cast like sure. five feet. Yeah. I'm like, dear Lord, please let a 20-pound Mako show up and let me get back to the dock. <laughs> so I'm standing there. So I look up. The one guy's hanging over the rail, throwing up. The other guy's passed out on the 
on the on the deck, and the other guy's just sitting there, you know, with his arms crossed, looking out. And I looked down, and I went, "Oh my god!" And I see this gigantic mako come right under the boat. I mean, it went from from the stern right to the port side and 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 heading out towards the bow. I'm like, oh. "Holy crap!" This thing was like 700 pounds. I'm like, yeah. "Oh my god!" So I go, "Okay, who's who, who's ready? We got a big big mako here." And the guy's like, "What?" And and he looks over the side, and he didn't see it because the mako had kind of sunk out. And I'm like, "Hold yeah. on, hold on." So I've got my teaser run. I throw it out, throw it out. I'm throwing it. And I throw it way, way out and I'm reeling it up. And all of a sudden the Mako pops it behind the teaser and it starts chasing the teaser in. And the guy sees the fin. He's like, Jesus Christ, that thing's huge. And so I tease the Mako in and it goes under the boat again and circles around and I lose it. I can't see it. So I look and the one guy grabbed one of the fly rods that I, that we had prepped for the moment, you know, for, yeah, yeah. When, the one, when the shark shows up and I told him, do not put that fly in the water. You know, because I, I didn't know where the fish was. And if you have a fly dangling over the side, a mako sure. shark will come up and grab yeah. it. Yeah. So I said, I said, don't put the fly in the water. So I'm looking for the mako, looking for the mako. There's some heavy glare in the water. I'm looking, looking, and I look, and the fly is in the water because he's kind of looking over the rail, oh. you know, looking for the fish. I'm like, get the fly out of the water. So he pulls it out, and I can't, I don't know where the mako is. And so I make, throw the teaser out, nothing on the teaser. I'm like, ah, oh, the thing's split. And I look down and the guy is looking for it. And once again, the fly is in the water floating out. I go, oh. get the fly out of the, and right when I said that, this Mako came up right from under the boat and grabbed the fly, I mean, 10 feet off the rail. I mean, right there, a 700 pound Mako. <laughs> I'm like, and I told the guy, don't set the, and he, what did he do? He set the hook. He went straight oh. up. I go, oh my God, this Mako shark. It looked like a like a Volkswagen bus doing 360s on the port side rail. I mean, 10 feet off the rail. Whoa, whoa. I'm like, oh my God. And the guy's like, whoa. And he and he's holding the rod. And, and I'm like, give me the rod. So I, I run up the rail, grab the rod, and, and immediately the shark sounds and it uh, pins me to the rail, right? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's going down, down. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, and so what makers will do, they'll go down and they'll they'll jump, but you don't know where they're going to jump. They right. could jump. Yeah, they just come up. Yeah, yeah. It's going straight down. I'm like, oh God, oh God. So now it's got me pinned to the rail. The rod is bent back towards the stern. It's bent back towards the starboard corner. And I look back and the, the two other guys, that one guy that was passed out and the other guy, they ran back to the starboard corner and they're standing right there. I'm like, oh my God. So I'm looking back at them and all of a sudden that, the Mako jumps right there, right off the starboard. I mean, right <laughs> off the corner and it rockets into the air and it goes <sighs> up 20 feet. And I'm watching it in slow motion, go, a 700 pound Mako going 20 feet in the air within five feet of these guys. I mean, it's wow. right off the corner. I'm like, oh my God. And it goes up, 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 up. And I'm like, that thing's going to lean into the boat and crush these guys. Oh and my it, God, it, go, it goes up, 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 up. And it leans out. It landed uh. out. And it uh, took off. And I don't know how I got that thing around. It went under the outboard and I pulled it around and I handed the rod back to the guy. I go, just hold on. So it's running, it's jumping. And I get that guy's falling all over his ass. I'm trying to you know, get up on the fish. And so we fight it for probably, I don't know, five minutes after these incredible jumps and it broke off. I'm like, thank God. So I, you know, I reel the whole thing. And the makeup probably peeled off 400 yards of, of backing. It was uh, insane. So I reel all that back in. and. I get it back in. I look at the guy and he's sitting on, on the bow. He's like, holy shit. That was insane. I go, you know how insane that was? That shark could have landed in the boat and two of your buddies could have been freaking killed. Oh my God, dude. 
So the more the moral of that story is I've realized that, you know, you, you got to have your shit in one sack when you're fishing these big makos because they will jump in the boat. So because of that, I'm very, very, very specific on how I want people to cast to those things. Sure. You have to make a 40 foot cast. Sure. You can't hook them close and, yep. you, and you have to be super careful. There's no margin of error at all. Because yeah. if one of those things lands in the boat, you're freaking oh, And it's happened to people before. I mean, that's a, that's a known thing. Like that's Yes, happened. it has. Yes. It, and I'm fishing out of a 24 foot Triton Bay boat. Right. So my gunnel is very low to the Nil. Wall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, I mean that, dude, that's funny. That's an epic story. But like my takeaway, it, it, it always bothers me a little to hear stories like that because there's so many things, giant tuna, fly fishing for sharks with you that like I want to do that I would kill to do. And then I hear a story like, that's the guy that got to go do that and have a 700 pound oh. Mako shark and like doesn't even appreciate what just happened. It's Dude, like that happens all damn it. the I know it. time. I know it. I get people out there that they'll catch a 300 pound Mako. They're like, oh, that was cool. And they just walk off the dock. Uh, like, Whoa. Don't worry, bro. When I come out there, I'll make a, an 80 foot cast to a 700 pound <laughs> yeah, Mako baby. and we will dance. Yes, that would be awesome. All right, well, first things first, man. I, I don't know. It kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I'm a little bothered by it. You, you watch UFC? You watch UFC at all? Not. I've been forced to watch it in a few lodges over the years, okay. but like of my own accord, no, I don't watch it. Right, so there's a, there's a funny clip uh, for, from a UFC press conference a few years back, and it's two heavyweights. Right. And I, I don't think they were about to fight. I think they were on the same card. And one of the heavyweights who's, who's really well accomplished and then one of the ones who was kind of upcoming, he's from New Orleans originally. Right. And uh, and they weren't even going to fight on this card. So the more accomplished fighter, Daniel Cormier, was like, you know, and he's talking to uh, Derek Lewis, who was the other yeah. fighter. He's like, yeah. so what's your beef with me? What did I do? We're not even fighting. And he's like, man, you disrespected that Popeye's chicken. So apparently, <laughs> <laughs> apparently Cormier had said something negative about Popeye's. So I kind of feel the same way. Listen to this. I'm like, man. There's a few times throughout that deal where he just goes after brie cheese. Right. I'm like, dude, I got like, <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong with the brie, man. Like, with, like, yeah, the, I get like, your clients suck, but leave the brie <laughs> out of this, man. <laughs> well, so since we just heard a Mako shark story, I am compelled to ask you something that I've always wanted to know. Maybe you know the answer, maybe not, right? So offshore fishing is is a big deal in southern Louisiana, right? You guys are all about tuna and wahoo and swordfish, but some of the biggest Makos in the country live in the Gulf of Mexico. And by and large, I feel like the Louisiana offshore crowd really wants nothing to do with them. And I will I will point out, by, I, I want to say, like, I think that's a good thing for the sharks, right? I'm not about killing all these sharks. But you boys also like a stock freezer, and, I, and mako meat is very tasty. So I never understood why mako fishing wasn't more of a thing down there. That's not entirely true. There's definitely guys who do it, but you got to understand the economic driver for Venice, which is, you know, the capital right. of our offshore fishing is the tuna. It's known as right. tuna town. So people come here to catch tuna. That's what, right. you know, so the captains, that's what their trips are geared to. Now I can tell you this in the last 10 years, it's uh swordfish is, is a close section. Sure. Sure. So it's not necessarily that they don't target Mako because I've seen guys like Trey PK with Voodoo Charters get some enormous yeah. Makos. Yeah. I just, you know, I think that those other things that are, are more, uh, is take where precedence. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, that's where their business is geared towards. Right I, I, I definitely can, can say that they know and appreciate the Mako fishery. 
Right. It's just that their clients who pay to go with them want to catch tuna and swords. Sure, sure. You're just not seeing those Makos hung yeah, up. Yeah, the captains themselves probably right. really enjoy the Mako yeah. and, and really yeah. appreciate it, but they got to you know take the folks who, who are paying to catch what they want to Interesting. catch. Interesting. One of these days I should come down there and uh, I, I just would love to catch a giant Mako catch and release just to say I did it. I've never caught them yeah. as big as I know you have them down there. Anyway, now that we have the waters all chummed up here, uh, let's see who gets slaughtered this week when Hayden Samick and I dive headfirst into some oily, bloody Fish news. Fish news! That escalated quickly. We've got a bunch to talk about today. Uh, First and foremost, episode one of B-Side Fishing season two drops today. And if uh, any of you, yeah, man, if any of you are listening early in the morning, perchance, I believe it hits Meat Eater's YouTube channel at 11 Mountain, so 1 p.m. Eastern. But man, I gotta say, people... People don't understand like how getting something like B-Side out is kind of like giving birth. You know what I mean? Like months yeah. of work, and you finally see baby alive in the world. And um, episode one, I got to say, it might be like one of, one of my favorite videos I've ever put together. And uh, the topic is American shad fishing, which I, I've covered that in the past, but never before have I taken uh, th- this level of deep dive into the historical significance of the fish. And of course, this all centers around a challenge to eat a whole bunch of shad proposed by our old buddy, Miles Nolte. Uh, I miss Miles. Uh, I know. Me you know, too. I've, I've, I've been granted a sneak peek uh, at this episode, and I really thought it was one of the best videos you've ever put together as oh, well. Thanks, man. Yeah. Appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought the bit about the significance of shad in the Revolutionary War was of particular interest. People don't realize, right? Uh, and I don't want to give I don't want to give it all away. But if it wasn't for American shad, you might be British right now. Like you might be eating <laughs> tea and strumpets instead of KFC. Because uh, if it hadn't been for the shad feeding Washington's army during the Revolutionary War at at exactly the right time, they would have all starved to death and not been able to keep fighting. So, yeah, you know, I, I've done a lot of being from the East Coast. I did a lot of like, you know, class trips to uh, Valley Forge. And the first thing you think of oh, when yeah. you get to that place is like, <laughs> man, it must have sucked to have had Dude, to stay here through the winter. You're saying you're saying it sucks when you're there on a class trip in the middle of the summer. Like imagine like living there in February. Yeah. And imagine living there eating nothing but shad. Yeah, terrible gift shop too. Terrible gift shop. Uh, but, <laughs> but I, the whole point. So you, uh, yes, yeah, terrible to just survive on shad. Although a theme like the, this whole whole thing centers around: can we debunk that? Is shad that bad to eat, or uh, would you only want to eat it if you had to survive? Anyway, hopefully you guys will check that out today. Um, in the meantime, man, I I gotta say. Boy, did that sail bin with the trout jigs hit. Like, I have been <laughs> overwhelmed by notes about that. I even got voice memos, right, which which normally we reserve for the uh, nibbles and sips segment. Mm-hmm. But here's a quickie from listener Colin Coffee. <laughs> I hate to be the guy to tell you this, but you got robbed, dude. Those things are like 30 cents a piece, maybe, in the, in the, the tackle shop up there. And this was, right, this was the overall consensus. Those jigs are nothing secret. I've been told they are sold in every single shop around Bennett Springs State Park. 
People have informed me that they are, are locally referred to as big hurt jigs. Mm. And a million people were like, yeah, whoever sold those to you is one of a hundred dudes here that insist like he invented the wheel at trout parks. Like it's not uncommon. Yeah. I, I bet you that dude also invented mop flies and wacky winging <laughs> senkos. <laughs> Probably. Yeah, yeah, he takes credit for all of that. Um, and lastly, before we get on to, to the news here, you, sir, were the target of your first voice memo. Because uh, last week you uh, <laughs> you hit that, <laughs> that's my bar on the Altmar Hotel in Pulaski, New York. And I got this from listener Eli Creeden. Hey, Joe. I've just got a brief message for Hayden. What the f***? All the mention of the Altmar Hotel and no talk of the PBJ wings? Come on now. Now, PB and J wings, <laughs> how and why would you skip that? I want to know more about this. I'm on Eli's side. <laughs> well, uh, to be honest, it was kind of a kill your darlings sort of scenario. I <laughs> I had to cut something for time, and unfortunately, Joe, Eli, the PB and J wings didn't make <laughs> had it. Had to go. <laughs> you will also uh, – might be a little disappointed to know that PB and J wings are not quite as like singular to Altmar hotel as you might think. In fact, I was, uh, I was out to dinner with my girlfriend last night and it should so happen that burger Bob's on main street in Bozeman, Montana also sells PB and J wings. Uh, if you Google really? it, they're like, yeah, I, I think it's something about like the jelly sort of caramelizing in such a way. Uh, that it just kind of huh. lends itself, you know? Well, I, I had never heard of it before. Um, I guess I missed that one. But even if I saw it on a menu, unless I was sitting with somebody who was like, no, 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 dude, you have to order that. Like, they're amazing. I'd never order that. I wouldn't order them. I have sat with people who have been like, no, 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 dude, these are amazing. <laughs> and I still have not ordered them. Although, interestingly, uh, there are a bunch of folks in Philadelphia that posit that that's what makes uh, Lorenzo's Pizza so good or in some cases so bad is that they also apparently use grape jelly in the sauce. Really? I'd never heard that before. And that's on South Street. I've eaten it. It's been yep. years, but man, Lorenzo's makes, I didn't know that. Big old slice um, of pizza too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Huge, huge slices. Uh, the only thing I've used grape jelly for, which I've had people scoff at until they try it. Like if you ever have a good smoked sausage, like a Polish sausage or venison mm -hmm. sauce, whatever you got, if you cook it down in a crock pot with 50-50 grape jelly to barbecue sauce, it's fantastic. I don't, I don't you're know, you're doing the little scoff thing now. Um, <laughs> have you ever yeah, heard of the anyway. uh, have you ever heard of the Philly taco? No. It is a Jim's cheesesteak wrapped up in a slice of Lorenzo's pizza. Oh. Sorry, I just had to put that in there. <laughs> That's fine. Well, if you're looking for a way to kill yourself with a, with a clogged artery, there you go. That's the one. Uh, anyway, that's enough about PB and J Wings. Remember, this is a competition. Hayden and I do not know which story the other fella is bringing to the table. At the end, our uh, no-nonsense audio engineer, Phil, will decide who has to buy the PB and J Wings tonight. And uh, it is your lead, sir. What do you got for us? All right. So this week on Fish News, we are taking a trip to South Africa. Ooh, uh, that's an expensive plane ticket. Sure is. Since Phil liked <laughs> saving the whales so much, uh, maybe he'll also be into saving the sharks. Maybe. I just got to interject and say, yeah. I've heard from a few people who are like, how did you let Hayden beat you with a whale story? It was a it whale of a, a story, story, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, oh, man. This one comes from uh, News 24 in South Africa. Last week, and 
I apologize in advance because I'm sure I'm about to mess this name up. Uh, Devet Dutois, a South African wildlife Sounded act- right. Yeah, I it Sounded right. A South African <laughs> wildlife activist decided to take a swim to save the sharks. Specifically, he chose to swim from a... I really should have looked this up. Gansby Coast to <laughs> Dyer Island and back in a 7.7 kilometer loop. Mm, now, he's healthy. Yeah, okay. Healthy dude. Yeah. Now, why did Detroit choose this particular route to Dyer Island? Uh, Dyer Island is part of an area known as Shark Alley. Basically, there are a bunch of seals that post up on an adjacent island each winter and pup. So you got a lot of these big old white sharks just kind of cruising the area between the two islands looking for some uh, fun-sized seal snacks. You think we can find some seal oil to dip the frozen fish in? Because of this, Dyer Island has been known as a hot spot for great white sharks for the last, like, hundred years. That is until recently. Biologists, and I guess you'd call them, like, recreational shark observers or shark tourists. Sure. There's people that do that, just fly all over to look at sharks. Yeah, whatever. Folks have been noticing there are less sharks around the island. Now, Dutois has taken it upon himself to draw attention to this problem by taking a swim through these previously shark-infested waters. And, Mm. you know, it's a stunt, right? But it is pretty impressive. The dude really put his money where his mouth is. Like, you think this isn't a problem? I'm going to show you exactly how confident I am that the shark population is messed up around here. Yeah, and I appreciate what guy's doing, but I mean, you said it, dude. It, it, it's a stunt. I mean, there's also an element of of, of luck there. Um, you know, I'm sure Dyer Island. That's where they film a ton of the Shark Week stuff, like the seals, you know, behind the boat where they're they're pulling the fake seal, and like it's just kind of it's kind of like fishing, right? What you don't see is is how many hours or days they spent doing that and not getting any sharks to blow up on it. Yeah. So like beside fishing. Just, it's yeah, it's a <laughs> exactly. So it's a it's it's a little stunty, but I, it's, that's it's okay. Yeah, and know. to be fair, it is like kind of like the the pinnacle moment of a documentary that the guy's putting together. The ultimate goal of which is to ban shark nets, which mm. are currently in place off the coast of many South African beaches. Uh, for those who don't know, a shark net is like less of a benign barrier and more of a giant ass gill net that not only kills yeah. a shit ton of sharks, but also a bunch of other marine life as a result of bycatch. Um, I would guess that you could probably find some really good fishing right around them, though. Oh, I'm sure, man. I'm sure. I'm sure, sure those nets are as good as a floating whale carcass offshore. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure everything comes in looking for uh, the strugglers in there. So anyway, Dutoy uh, or Dutois, Dutois. Oh, he's Dutoy. changing it up. Um, uh, I like the inflection on Dutois. You re- like you really Dutois. hit it with gusto. Well, it's a very French, uh, but. That doesn't really make sense in South Africa. Uh, (laughs) Detroit has taken the lack of sharks around Dyer Island as evidence that there has been a massive population crash, mostly at the hands of man, i.e. the gillnets. And Mm -hmm. while it's true that the rate at which we've been killing sharks borders on like extermination and the population is certainly in decline, that might not be what's going on in this specific instance. Um, Right. A shark biologist for Dyer Island Conservation Trust, Allison Towner, uh, i.e. somebody who is deeply familiar with this population of white sharks, thinks it's something else. In an interview given to the same media source from which I lifted, like, this entire story, (laughs) she suggests that it's actually orca presence causing the sharks to abandon the area. 
Oh, interesting. Okay. That's a twist. I like it. Plot twist. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) One might think that it's the orcas out competing the sharks for delicious, delicious seal babies, forcing the sharks into waters with less competition for food. But she doesn't think that that's the case. Rather, the sharks appear to be leaving to avoid becoming prey themselves. <laughs> Since 2017, orcas have been actively attacking white sharks around Dyer Island, causing them to temporarily vacate the area before eventually returning. As more and more orca attacks have been occurring, the sharks have been staying away for longer and longer. That said, the sharks have always returned. And in fact, throughout May and June of this past year, Towner herself tagged eight white sharks and observed a bunch more. That is until an orca attack caused the white sharks to vacate the area yet again. And as of recently, the sharks have not been observed in the area since that attack. Come on, white sharks. White sharks, come (laughs) on. That's like the ultimate predator. That's like every kid's like hero fish. I'm very upset to hear that that marine mammals are pushing out white sharks. Marine mammals suck, dude. Orcas are just bigger dolphins. And we all know you hate dolphins. I do. I hate it. <laughs> anyway, uh, your hatred of dolphins is neither here nor there. The fact is, the dude kind of oh, made... here. It's right here. <laughs> the dude made his point in a big way. To be clear, he's like also not calling for folks to like just completely vacate the beaches and let the sharks have their way. Rather, he's suggesting a more shark-friendly approach to, I guess, being unfriendly to sharks and deterring them. Uh, okay. Detoy points out that our fear of sharks is... <laughs> I'm switching it up, man. Deal with it. That's fine. Our fear of sharks is basically irrational in the first place. He notes that last year, uh, 10 people out of a population of like 8 billion were killed by a variety of shark species. And during the same period of time, 240,000 people drowned. Uh, he comes to the conclusion that we should be 24,000 more times afraid of water than sharks. And I didn't check that math. So if it's wrong, don't DM me. (laughs) I think you missed a zero and I would DM him. Please DM him. I (laughs) back at you. I deserve it. (laughs) So I sort of follow him on that. In general, I do think that we've demonized sharks like far beyond their actual immediate threat to us. Sure. But what he's saying is super reductive and assumes that everybody has an equivalent amount of interaction with the water or sharks. Uh, like to contextualize that a little bit as a dude who spends a lot of time poking around for critters in grizz country, like my chances of a bear attack are astronomically higher than my grandmother's or yours over in New Jersey. Sure. Yeah. She's just at the dollar general. She's not in grizz country at all. Yeah. <laughs> She does love the Dollar General, man. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, still, All grandmas do. Yeah, Dollar General and casinos. I got you these beef jerkies from the Dollar General. <laughs> like, they expired eight years ago, Graham. Yeah. Still, uh, <laughs> we may have overreacted a little. Um, and there are a bunch of alternatives to essentially gillnetting great whites in response to uh, their perceived threat. One such alternative is having shark spotters And if you've ever seen Jaws 2, that's where pilots and observers, you know, patrol beaches looking for sharks and calling down a threat should one be spotted. This has been employed on the west coast of South Africa and has proven to be really effective. Um, Another option are drum lines. Hey, thug little wannabe drummer boy. 
I'm going to just assume that was a clip from the film Drumline. And you have not seen Days of Thunder. I have never seen Drumline, so I guess now we're even. You mean Nick Cannon's seminal work? Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that. (laughs) Great dramatic actor. Uh, Drumlines rely on baited hooks attached to buoys to catch sharks. Uh, You still have bycatch or whatever, but not nearly to the extent seen with shark nets. And recently, around 2015, smart drumlines have been developed that send a signal to rangers on shore when they've caught something, theoretically allowing those rangers to go out and free the bycatch or even relocate sharks. Interesting. Okay. This has been tested on the island of Reunion in the Indian Ocean where 15 of these smart drum lines have been deployed. And they found that on average, a fisherman can reach a smart line within an hour and a half of an alert and around 90% of animals captured end up surviving the ordeal, which is uh, much better than the survivability of gill nets. Absolutely. I got to say, man, that's that's very cool technology. And I mean, I have to imagine even during, um, or at least I guess during the high season for when, when swimmers and sharks are coinciding on these beaches, yeah. that's got to be somebody's full-time gig. And that would be a great full-time gig. Awesome. Gig. Like you just sit around and play Minesweeper till your phone pings. It's like, oh, got to go out and free a great white. Like just hang Badass. out and then go run out there and play around uh, with, with the sharks. I think that would be cool as hell. Um, my only other thought, just because I'm, I'm kind of a sicko like that, I just I imagine in my head like during dude's swim, like as he's swimming, like he's, he's in the middle of the way through it and he's just like, see, there's no sharks out here. And an orca just comes up and takes him. Like just full orca breach in the mouth. And I'd be like, well, how ironic was that? The toy did not look <laughs> out for the orcas. No, exactly. Um, it's pretty funny, actually. In the trailer for this documentary that he's putting together, there is yeah. one moment where like a seal pops up next to him and clearly scares the <laughs> shit out of the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong. You talk about shark spotters, you know, like he made the chopper do three extra loops before oh, he yeah. dove in. Like, are you sure, Mike, that there are no sharks out there right now? You know what I mean? Better hope Mike likes them. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. 
They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to Land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. All right, well, you did a story about a uh, giant fish here. Um, not the biggest. Whale sharks are bigger, but great whites are cooler. I, too, have a story about a giant fish, and I can barely believe this is happening, but I have to do a record story two <laughs> weeks in a row. You're going to lose. Got to do it, a, by now, because a bunch of listeners forwarded this to me, and uh, I feel it's my duty to report on this one because everyone loves walleye, right? Sure. I mean, everyone except me, uh, but I recognize and appreciate their significance uh, in the fishing community, and I must say this one warms my heart because uh, if, like, Ross Robertson caught a new state record walleye, I'd be like, of course he did. Yeah. Right? Like, he's a, he's a walleye machine. He has all the latest and greatest gear. He's super dialed. But the victor in this story is like the polar opposite of a guy like Ross Robertson, which makes the story great. This is coming from GoEerie.com. Headline, state record walleye possible after Connellsville man catches huge fish. Who is that man? Well, it's Richard the Breeze <laughs> Nicholson. So the nickname is The Breeze, and he looks kind of like the dude, right? Like yeah. Lebowski. Uh, but how big was The Breeze's walleye? 34 inches, 18.1 pounds, caught in Pennsylvania's Yakagani River on October 28th. And if it's certified as a state record, it will beat out the 17-pound, 9-ounce state record that was caught in the Allegheny Reservoir and has stood since 1980. So that one's been around, man. Like, PA yeah. hasn't seen a record walleye in, what's that, like 41 years, something I, like that. I'm kind of shocked that this record isn't coming out of Lake Erie. Yeah, I, yeah exactly, because you're absolutely right. Erie, PA is right on the lake there, you would think, but mm -hmm. no, man. Uh, Yakagani River, which I've never fished, but I've heard it's a great sleeper brown trout river. Like, people are really? like, oh, dude, you fish the yak? I'm like, don't talk about the yak while we're talking about it now. But anyway... Um, so was the breeze running around on the yacht with a jet boat equipped with side scan and down scan and all the other pro walleye accoutrements, not even close as the breeze says himself very succinctly in a quote from the story. I'm a live bait man. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the bait that took the beast was a live Creek chub, which the breeze trapped himself, right? He only fishes from the bank. And that evening, he had already landed an 18-inch sauger and a 27-inch, nine-and-a-half-pound walleye, okay? That's a good walleye. The 18-pounder, yeah. I mean, dude, nine-and-a-half from short. That's amazing. I love this guy. The, 
I, dude, I love them too. Uh, yeah, I, and you're going to love them more and more as we go on. Okay. Uh, the 18 pounder sucked up that creek chub around 7 p.m. Okay. And according to the breeze, he fought the fish for 20 to 25 minutes. Now let's hold uh, up. That's a long Let's time compose to... ourselves. Let's hold the phone. Okay. Okay. All right. I will discuss the tackle he was using in a minute. But I'm telling you right now, even though his awesome choice of tackle, would make any fight a little more sporty. There isn't a walleye on this planet that's got 20 to 25 minutes of fight in it. Yeah. Okay. Here's, the, here's some context. To put it in perspective, that would be like if I hooked a walleye the second I pulled out of my driveway, I wouldn't get it in the net until I reached Center City, Philadelphia. Okay? <laughs> that's about a 25-minute drive with no traffic, and that's impossible. And I'm going to say... That, that that that's a gross exaggeration after the fact, Breeze. I'm sorry, but I'm I'm pinging you there. Okay, even if you if you were spooled with a strand of human hair, it wouldn't take 25 minutes to land an 18 pound walleye. So, two things. One, are you saying that it's impossible that you would get to the Philadelphia airport without traffic? Because I believe that. Secondly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> secondly, walleye. You're right. I mean. They kind of suck. In fact, Chester Floyd over here at Meat Eater and Seth, they love to go catch walleye. Chester has a fish allergy, cannot eat walleye. I have no idea why the hell the dude is going out and just catching him just to release him. Listen, listen, I'm not, you're, you're giving me an opportunity to crack a joke about Seth and Chester, who I don't talk to often. I, and I don't like making fun of people I don't know all that well, but I look at their Instagram stories and their walleye fishing and no one is talking. All you ever hear is just that light hull slap on the hull. It's just silence and light hull slap. And I'm like, come on, have a, let's get excited about something here. Anyway, I'm not, that's, it is what it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's hit on that tackle because it is pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. So per the story, the breeze was using a noodle rod and his reel was spooled with six pound test. And he does this for the extra sensitivity to ensure he knows the exact second when a walleye picks up his bait. And this makes total sense to yeah. me because most of the time you have no idea that a walleye just picked up your shit, okay? Because right. they don't they don't like hit very hard either most of the time. So that's genius. But even so, it, it can't take 25 minutes to land a walleye on a noodle rod. I mean, you're a steelhead guy. Yeah. Noodle rods were designed to absorb the fast, hard runs and thrashes of steelhead and salmon. Yeah. And I mean, six-pound test, that's light, but it's not two-pound test. So like 18-pound steelhead on six-pound? Yeah, I'm nervous about that. 18-pound walleye? Not at all. It, it couldn't have fought that much harder than the nine-pounder he caught. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I fish steelhead with six-pound test all the time. Yeah. All, all the time. And particularly if it's like flora or something where it's like not going to completely fail the second it gets like a little bit of a nick in it. Right. I would say that it is a very long time to be fighting that fish. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, look, and we're not – I'm not I'm – not, it's still an awesome catch. I just, when somebody tells me they fought a walleye for 20, 25 minutes, I'm like, no, you didn't. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> the breeze was fishing with his son. And when his son finally got uh, this fish to the net, 
right? Uh, the story says that the big old walleye snapped the net handle. That I believe, right? I believe that. I mean, 18 pounds of fish, 18 pounds of fish. That's, mm-hmm. that's big old fish. So what did they do with the fish uh, after catching it? Race it off to a certified scale? Nay, they did not. They put it in the bathtub. The breeze keeps outside on his property that's rigged up to keep fish alive until he's ready to eat them. <laughs> per the story, the Breeze is known around town for hosting Friday night events he calls Hillbilly Surf and Turf, where he makes hamburgers and whatever fish are presently in the outside bathtub. I want to hang out with this man. I just love him so much. I just want to be a part. I want to be a part of all this. It's so good. Um, so it was his son, Richard Jr., who stopped the Breeze from instantly taking a knife to the fish because he was like, hey, uh, Dad, you know, we might we might have a record here. <laughs> so they waited on an old hanging scale that they just had in their garage or whatever. They saw that it hit 18 pounds, um, then immediately took it to a local grocery store and had the butcher weigh it to confirm. Yeah. And when they saw that the weight matched, that's when they knew. They were like, okay, we got it. So basically all that needs to happen to make this official is the uh, paperwork filed and and the fish triple and double checked. And if it all checks out, the Breeze has a state record. And this is nice. my favorite part, right? He caught the fish in a spot he's been fishing for 50 years. And he started fishing it with his dad. Wait for it. Glenn, the wind... Nicholson. She's like the wind through my tree. So if granddad was the wind and the sun is the breeze, what's the grandson? Light and variable? Occasional gust of 15? I don't know. I just love the whole, I love the whole theming. I love everything about it. I love when a record like this falls to just a dude. Just a dude yeah. on the bank with a live creek chub. It's so much more satisfying to me. Yeah, and it, it's not you know that far out from uh, your opportunistic uh, cat fisherman the other day. No, no, and and it also you know I think the Yakagani is a great example. Like, like I said, I know it as a as a trophy brown trout river. Yeah, and there's so many rivers like that where they have these deep dark holes in these spots, and the average you know fly dude or whatever he's going to rip a streamer through there a few times. Nothing happens, but they, those holes always leave you wondering, like, what's actually down yeah. there? Like, some crazy shit has to live in there. Mm-hmm. But you're so caught up in how you want to fish, yeah. there's a strong chance what you're doing will never allow you to see what's in there because you're going to rip one streamer through or whatever. And it's it just, I mean, you, just, you throw a, a, a creek chub on the bottom, and that's what gets it done. And and it's guys like the Breeze, in some ways, that, that I think are seeing more of what rivers like this have to offer than the guy who just wants to be the streamer junkie or whatever. Yeah, you know? well, I'll, I'll tell you what, man. There aren't uh, a bunch of streamer junkies that are going to find themselves wildly successful on the walleye bite in general. No, um, no. And, uh, but I've seen people do that, and I'm like, I'm sorry, this is stupid. All you just did was put on a really heavy jiggy fly and bounce it off the bottom. It it's is It's not stupid. even fly fishing. Yeah. It's stupid. Um, the other thing that I wonder is how many like dedicated walleye anglers are just like gritting their teeth right now at the thought of somebody keeping an 18 pound walleye. Well, there is that. Yes. That then there's something to be said for that. Also, I mean, the breeze kind of spilled all the beans. He's like, place is full of huge walleyes. It's like, would uh, you have kept that walleye Joe? Do you hate walleye? No, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. And, and, and that's not just me being righteous. Um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in, for quality on the table, eating the smallest fish you can legally eat in most cases. 
Like I'm like a like a 26 inch striped bass is better on the table than the meat from a 40 pounder. Yeah. And I, I think that's true of a lot of fish. Yeah. No, I, I certainly think that's true, man. You know, I don't keep a lot of the trout that I eat just because in general, I kind of find trout to be not my favorite fish to eat. Yep. What I will do is um, I will keep some brookies here and there as long mm-hmm. as they're like below the 10 inch mark. And that has nothing to do with conservation. That is strictly a palate informed decision. Right. Right. Well, regardless, he did keep it, so there's no point in, in crying about it. I'm, sh- I'm sure the uh, hillbilly surf and turf that Friday, man, he invited everybody from the next neighborhood over, too, uh, with a feed like that. Fun story regardless. Congrats to the Breeze, and I really mean it. It seems like a cool dude. I would love to hang out with them. We'll see who Phil wants to hang out with now, the shark swimmer or the Breeze at the uh, hillbilly surf and turf event. And when we're done, we've got a, uh, a weekly word for you guys. We're diving back into the world of uh, fun derogatory slang terms for outsiders. This one coming from the homeland of this week's co-host, Jared Saranier, Southern Louisiana. Hayden, your story ran the gamut. It had everything. Backstory that tied into some science and some problem solving. It was great. But unfortunately for you... I was caught off guard this fine Friday morning by the wind and the breeze through my hair. Joe, you're the winner. (laughs) Joe, I'm just going to try to get ahead of the DMs on this one. Earlier, you said that without Shad, there's a chance we could all be British and we'd be eating a lot more tea and strumpets. I believe you meant crumpets. I mean, I'm an open-minded guy. I just don't know if that diet would uh, fly in the year of our Lord 2021. But hey, England. If you ever uh, decide to give her the old college try again and you end up winning, go ahead and bring over a few of those uh, Nando's chicken places. I'd be very game for that. So I have just been informed by Joe that tea and strumpets is a dumb and dumber reference that went right over my head. Oh, well, pardon me, Mr. Perfect. I guess I forgot that you never, ever make a mistake. But I will wipe the egg off my face, and for the second time in the history of this podcast, Fish News has a loser. And his name is me. Webster's Dictionary defines fish as... This week's word is chivo, and it was submitted by listener Nick Bradley, who lives in St. Bernard Parish in deep southeast Louisiana, just like this week's guest co-host, Jared Saranier. Now, we've highlighted several derogatory terms for outsiders here, such as Benny, Shuby, and Fib. But I have to admit, I was humbled by Nick, who presented a slang term which I'd never heard of. And like many local derogatory terms for outsiders, this one can be used in a fit of anger or during a jovial moment between friends. Nick writes, St. Bernard Parish is home to some of the best inshore fishing in the country and has a centuries-old, vibrant fishing culture. It's literally part of the heritage of the people of St. Bernard Parish, and it's that heritage that gives us our word for outsiders, chivos. Chivo is Spanish for kid, as in a baby goat. In the 1770s, the most southeasterly part of St. Bernard, Delacro, was settled by the Isleños people of the Canary Islands, which was a Spanish colony. The Isleños made a living on the water as fishermen, and commercial fishing remains the community's primary way of life to this day. In order to be successful, the Islanos learned and understood the deep intricacies of the swamp and marsh around them. 
When others would come into the area and run aground due to unfamiliarity, they would stack objects on the decks of their vessels, stand atop them in order to look out over the marsh, and try to make sense of where they were and where they could successfully navigate. The locals, witnessing this recurring phenomenon, found humor in it and thought that these stranded outsiders looked like the goats high on the cliffs and volcanic mountains of their homeland, the Canary Islands, thus referring to them as chivos. Chivos still remains a word for unfamiliar non-locals out on the water, as well as a term of endearment for your buddy who, try as he might, just sucks at fishing. Hope you all enjoyed this bit of local history about the parish and our heritage. I enjoyed it immensely, Nick, and I'd love to adopt it, but I'm just not sure Chivos will resonate with any of the idiots running aground in Barnegat Bay in New Jersey. However, you are running with a fellow St. Bernard boy this week, so let's see whether Jared thinks you nailed this slang lesson, or if you're a Chivo when it comes to navigating local history. I think Nick's intentions were good, and I think, he, I think he got, I think he got close <laughs> All right. But I had to do a little digging. Okay? okay. And the red flag for me was the fact that he said that uh the red flag for me was when he said that they used the word Chivo as a goat from the Canary Islands. Okay. Right. Right. But you gotta figure they came from the Canary Islands in the late seventeen hundreds. Right. The word probably didn't start being used until like the early night at the at the very earliest, the early nineteen hundreds. Really? So that's okay. two hundred years. So I'm like, <laughs> ah, I don't think there was anybody around at that point who remembers or had heard about goats in the Canary Islands. So right. that was the one for me. And look, I'd used this word growing up, heard the word growing up. I've heard that exact explanation of it. Yeah. And I've probably heard the real explanation of it in the past. Just kind of, you know, I just had to, I had to tread into, I had to go into deep water a little bit on this. Okay. So I called, okay. I called the resident expert on all things Islanos, my uncle Wimpy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why is uncle Wimpy not on with us? I want to talk to uncle Wimpy. All right. What did he say? Right, what did he so say? Uncle Wimpy is one of the last remaining, and this, this is pretty cool. He's one of the last remaining speakers of Islandio Spanish alive in the world today. No way. That's so that, cool. Yeah, so you got to figure that Spanish came over from the Canaries in the 1700s, then kind of right. got mixed in with mainland Spaniards probably you know, right, a little right. bit after that. So these guys were speaking their own language down there at Delacro. They were cut off from the, from the world. You know, they, they, yeah. the language never evolved. So in a lot of ways, it's kind of a, a historic way of speaking. Yeah, yeah. So he's one of the last guys left alive today who speaks that dialect, who speaks that type of Spanish. So I call him. I said, oh, got something to talk to you with. You know, <laughs> let, let's talk about Chivo, right? And I said, look, here's what the dude said on Joe's podcast. And I, t- I yell, tell him what Nick said. And he's like, no, not quite it. <laughs> he's close, but not quite it. So here's the real deal. So sometime around the early 1900s, folks from New Orleans started Word got out how good the fishing was at Delacro. But it's okay. not like it is now where, like, you know, pretty much everybody has their own boat. I mean, it was hard to get a boat back then. Sure, sure, yeah. There wasn't even a real road into Delacro Island. It was just a rock road. So right. these cats started coming down from the city looking for folks who already lived there, locals, to take them fishing because they had heard about how good the fishing was. Got and then it. So, so the cats from Delacro were supplying New Orleans with shrimp and fish and all the things they needed. So you, the, the word was getting out. Right. But you, you didn't have a boat. You didn't have no way to go. So you had to go down there and hire a boat to take you. I mean, all right, that right there should tell you there's going to be some some mixture of folks who have a lot of experience on a boat. And right. Folks have yeah, yeah, that, no yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. This is the early version of every dock in the Florida Keys. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah. So this is where, and this is how, this is how close Nick got. Okay. So the way he, Uncle Wimpy explained it was that, so <laughs> all the boats at that point, at that time had a cabin on them, you know, where you'd be inside the cabin because they were commercial fishing boats. Right, right. So the 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 folks from New Orleans would get on the boat and they wanted to 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 get up and see things where Nick was so they'd get on top of the cabin but they were they were just so clumsy and goofy on the boats they would fall you know they'd fall overboard they'd get up on the cabin they just were so they they were so <laughs> out of sorts it was almost you would have gotten the same type of experience if you had taken a goat and putting a goat on the boat for the first ah. time because the goat it. would not know how to act on the boat. So that's it. where it comes in. So the actual word chivo is is the mainland Spanish word for goat. The canary word is a cabra. So it's not even the same word. So it's the, the fact that they had mountain goats in the Canary Islands, the, the, the guys who lived at Delacroix in the early 1900s who started using the word, they didn't even know they were Canary Islanders. That's how far Got removed it. they were from that experience. They didn't, Uncle Wimpy said they didn't really even know that they were Canary Islanders until the 1970s. So like Dude. all that had been forgotten. <laughs> it's just a coincidence that you had goats in the Canaries and that they were using this word chivo I dude, I love this though. Like I'm like thank you to Uncle Wimpy, but also thanks to Nick because even though okay, like Uncle Wimpy clarified, like that kicked off this conversation because I was very I was very intrigued by by Nick's definition. So I feel like that is like we really learned some some history there. Oh, for sure. And look, Conway, the folks yeah. he had, the Mako, those are Chivos. Chivos. <laughs> Chivos. Right, Just God. leave the brie out of it. All right. <laughs> I love it. Love it. I'll be munching oh, on man. some brie in the duck blind and on the boat, man. I, I like some brie. Let's, you know, you don't have to be a Chivo to enjoy brie. There, no, you don't. You don't at all. Anyway, so we are just about done for this week. But before we go, if you need a recommendation for the tie on the end of your line this weekend, how about a pleasure shad from our sponsors, 13 Fishing? It's the paddle tail swim bait that's ribbed for his or her pleasure. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know Jared's giving me this look, but that's what they wrote on their website, man. The ribs also provide extra stimulation, uh, maybe to redfish, sea trout, perhaps down your way. Uh, I would love to be stimulating those with my pleasure, Shad, but I will settle for local small jaws. Anyway, I've decided we're going to skip the full end of the line segment this week and close out with the sail bin because I've got a listing here that should be fun to pick apart with Jared, especially since he's both a hardcore hunter and angler. Well, why did you put the head in the paper if you don't know what I'm getting at? Well, you, you didn't have to be so hurtful with me, so angry. So I found this listing on Craigslist. And it was posted in Fairborn, Ohio. But for some reason, I feel like this could have easily been a Louisiana-based listing. Like, is that fair? I feel like I've seen open carports and Quonset huts filled with these same items while driving around down there. I don't know that you would have someone who had that much of this all in one place. And a lot of it has to do with, well, we lose so much stuff in hurricanes. Like, That's you know, to accumulate that much stuff <laughs> means that you've been a long time without a hurricane, you know? That is true. I didn't think of that. Your stuff would just get washed away right. a couple times a year. That's fair. Uh, but this, what this post is, is a great example um, of a post where the items up for grabs aren't particularly interesting, right? But the description and instructions are so detailed that it really helps paint a picture of the seller, okay? Now, the title of the post is 250 Fishing Poles, 17 tackle boxes. And there are 20 photos accompanying this post documenting just the piles and piles of shit that this guy has. So let's begin. We'll get into the description here. Fairborn, Ohio, 
pickups only. I won't sell all at once or in big bulks. Sorry. All caps. No, I won't send them in the mail. 250 fishing poles, open face push button, fly rods, and bass bait casters, catfish bait casters, $2 to $80. Fly rods are around $20. 17 tackle boxes with some normal tackle, $15 to $100. Many empty tackle boxes around $5 to $18. So a couple things jump out at me, right? And we're not even done yet. $2 to $80 is a massive price range on rods. So why are the fly rods around $20? Are they shitty fly rods? Or does he just like not care about them as much as the catfish bait casters, right? Tackle boxes, including normal tackle with included tackle range from 15 to a hundred bucks. But he also has tackle boxes with no tackle that are more than the cheapest ones with tackle. And mind you, these are all old school, hard plastic tackle boxes, right? All right. Let me just say, I love this dude. Like whoever yeah, he oh, yeah. is, I love him. I, I, like I, I'm with you, bro. Get yeah. get your money. You know what you got. <laughs> oh yeah, you know he's gonna get his money because you'll love him more by the end. Okay, so we'll move on here. Right. This is continuing from the description. He also has Barnett bow, ten dollars. Medium sized dog kennel, new, twenty dollars. Weeman's nine twenty five silver rings, new, five dollars, five dollars, five dollars. Weeman's watches need batteries. Now $2 each, bag of three turkey calls, a 12-gauge turkey choke, and two camo masks, pistol holder, $38. Now, here's where things start to get weird, right? The last item in this list, all it reads is, ask if I have any ball cards for sale. (laughs) Now, dude, to me, right, doesn't that sound like secret code to you? Like, when you'll call, he'll know you're a serious buyer if you say the secret phrase. No, it sounds like a flex to me. Like, ask me how many basketball cards I have. <laughs> Thousands. You know, like, it's like my kid. Like, like I could see my kid coming up to me like, Dad, ask me how strong I am. Yeah, like, you know, It's a flex, man. Dude, you could, you could be right. Now, remember, he said specifically he refuses to sell all these items at once or break chunks of them off in bulk, right? He's trying to sell them individually. Yet he says, when you text me, if you ask me questions about price or brands or size or color or anything like that, I'm not going to answer you back. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to come see them, you're welcome to, period. All of you. (laughs) I love him. So right off the bat, dude, I'm all about the turkey calls, the 12-gauge turkey choke, the two camo masks, which I want to say, if you've hunted with a turkey mask before, you know after about one season of turkey hunting, that mask smells to high heaven. I was going to say, isn't there like your your coffee breath and like hot germs like riddled in there? You're just like breathing steam into them all morning, aren't you? Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's so great. And then it gets better at the end. Included in that package for $38 is a pistol holster right now i guess that when you're turkey hunting you can't keep the pistol with you to shoot a snake or whatever but i'm i want to hear his explanation as to how the pistol holster fits all goes together one package package. so that's the package i want and i'm offering up right now to you sir a mint condition kobe bryant rookie card (laughs) dude he's actually holding the kobe bryant card that's right bro i got you dude as as we're about to learn that might take the whole pile that might take he might give you the house yeah i might have screwed myself um yeah but see he's also he's also open to trades right so there's no cash on hand no problem 
He says, I might be open to some trades. I like basketball cards. Bang. There you go. You're ready. I like basketball cards, firearms, ball cards, depending on what they are. A nice crossbow. And then in all caps again, big 11-foot poles with Abu Garcia 6500s. Boys 4 and girls 1 toys. Depends. Maybe household stuff. Nice home CD played loud. Big smart TV. Stuff to keep bait alive. Unused cast nets or no holes. This dude needs to be on my YouTube channel, bro. I just feel like <laughs> dude, I was gonna say this is you the go to Ohio and interview person, this guy. This is your yeah. guy right here, man. And I mean, it sounds like he is all about some big catfish catching too, with the big eleven foot poles, big eleven foot poles. With I know, and he, but he's selling caps, catfishing man. equipment. It's like obviously you're a cat guy, man. Why are you selling that? Um, I wish I lived close by because I'd swing in. If anybody listening near Fairborn, Ohio, pops in to rummage around in this tidal wave of tackle, let us know what you find and how it works out. Um, it seems like one of those deals where there's like a gem or two hiding among all those South Bend pistol grip rods. You know what I mean? Maybe uh, or maybe not. I don't know. Remember, if you find some wild, wacky or ridiculous fishing related wares on your favorite online classified site, fire that link to bent at the dot com. And if we use it, I'll sticker you. So that's it for this week. Remember, if someone gets you a fly shot at a 700-pound Mako, it's worth putting down the wine and cheese for a hot sec. I'm always open to trading my ball cards for gift cards to Louisiana daiquiri shacks. Even terrible fishing is better than the best PowerPoint presentation. If you ever see Jared Serenier on the water and he calls you a Chivo, now you know why. Yeah, shout out to Uncle Wimpy for the yes. clarification, <laughs> you know, bringing a little history into it. I appreciate it. Uh, if y'all are interested, go on YouTube, type in Outside the Levees. I'm not going to, yes. you know how people give you the link, oh, YouTube.com? No. Go on yes. YouTube, type in Outside the Levees. <laughs> see what next we time, do. Next time we're having Uncle Wimpy on the show, man, but I'm so glad you could hang out with us. Um, find Jared on Instagram, Outside the Levees there. Uh, like you said, subscribe to Outside the Levees YouTube channel. You will not be disappointed. And hopefully uh, we get to film some more stuff together in the near future. It's been a while. Don't forget, I've always got eyes on those Degenerate Angler and Bent podcast hashtags. And uh, I'm always combing the emails we get at bent at com, looking for the next Salbin item, bar nomination, awkward photo, and voice memo from you guys. If I use anything you send in any way, shape, or form, you'll get a thing or two in the mail from me. But when you text me, if you ask me any questions about price or brands or size, or color or anything like that i'm not going to answer you back no tire kickers man that's you know i don't blame him like <laughs> you be getting some texts when you post up for sale online bro You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, 
enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.